Well, welcome everybody to another Tree Actions, the Human Forestry Podcast. And our guest today with Tony and I is none other than the professor, the good professor, Pricklethorn. Welcome to the show, professor. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. What a what an honor and a thrill. Thanks for being here. Brought a friend. <laughs> oh yeah. So does that friend travel with you regularly, Professor? Yeah, it's a, yeah. He's a, a green companion that I, I take around, and uh, you know, can't get enough of them at times, right? Well, Professor, we always ask people what how they they got interested in trees, and, and maybe you could take us back to to where the good professor was born and how he got started doing doing his stuff for the trees. Right, right. Well, my roots, I started as a wee sapling in Coburg, Ontario, born and raised there, beautiful little town. It's a it's a real uh, arboriculture hotbed with a bunch of companies. You guys probably already know that, that work out of Coburg. Um, my mom was a green thumb, and you're going to find this hard to believe, but as a wee child, I was a bit of a handful. So... Um, <laughs> I was known to be grounded a few times and she would always kind of commute the sentence. If I did some community service in the backyard, like, uh, you know, printing shrubs or whatever. And she'd always be like, you know, once, once the forsythia are done flowering, you can prune them and but take out the old canes and when move on now to the, um, the quince that we're going to shape it up a bit. So I got to learn my trees and shrubs at a young age. Then in high school, I worked at a Sheridan nursery tree farm, budding, grafting, um, went on to Humber College, um, third, hung around the third year, did the uh, arboriculture um, program there, and I haven't looked back. And it's trees have always, always been in my life. So um, I just love sharing the passion and, and watching people that, um, you know, particularly the students, when I talk about trees, kind of the, the learning bulb go off over their head when they're like, oh, that's that's a good point. Or they connect the dots on you know little factoids and stuff that's all relevant to all of us. Well, Professor, what what aspects of trees do you feel is most important to try to convey in your lessons when you're with children? That that it, like what lessons are the are the most important ones you try to teach them about trees, and then and how do you do that? Well, it's two different things because I always say I always got to be prepared with the est answers, the biggest the smallest, you know, the, the, the oldest. So they always want to know the est list, right? So I got to right. nail that down. But I think the thing that um, I try to convey to them the most is just all of the visible and invisible things that trees give us, you know, the tangible stuff we all know, the fruit, food, and medicine and lumber. But then, you know, it's the, the connection with people that how they help our mental health and just being around them just really helps us makes us feel better. And, and, you know, the fact that they're good for our physical health, you know, forest walks and that. So I, I yeah. try to get them to look at trees in a different light that they're not just kind of some green appliance in our backyard in the park or whatever, but they really, really help us. And that's mm-hmm. why we have to flip it around and help the trees because they help us. So let's turn it around and help the trees. Okay. And then for when you, when you have a young audience, you know, that, that, that is quite dependent, like a young tree on, on, you know, care and attention. How can young people, how do you part to them that they can help trees? I have like, I have a very simple list, <laughs> especially in the elementary school. I say, number one, don't break branches. 
uh, injure the trunk or, or cut roots. And, and, you know, if you see somebody doing that, speak up because it's going to really harm and set back the tree. The other thing I do is I mentioned about watering small trees is that trees need CO2. They need some water, they need minerals and they need sunlight. That's the, you know, the big, the big three, I guess. And, um, but the thing is, there's always going to be sunlight. There's always going to be CO2, but with the little trees in this day and age, the thing that they're going to be looking for the most is water. So get, you know, at the school ground or whatever you see a young tree, get a pail, a five gallon pail, give it some water, help it out. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm curious what, uh, what has been your, uh, like, what is, what are the, what do the children teach you about trees? Oh man, they, they, um, sometimes, you know, the older we get, sometimes the, I guess the narrower our vision gets, but they help me pull back the blinders because I always ask kind of what a tree is or what a tree means to them. And sometimes they get the most incredible answers. I get like, you know, um, Christmas, they say, Oh, that's what their tree means to them. And I'm like, yeah, you know, good point or love and, and family, you know, the family tree is like figuratively and literally, uh, in many children's minds, you know, that the, that whole concept of the family tree. And, um, I find that, you know, the more that I talk to them, the more that, that trees tend to give them, uh, peace and a surety of stability. You know, they're, they're always there, you know, all the, you know, we see all these memes and stuff with all the, you know, trees give us roots and anchor us and, you know, all the 10 different things that, you know, um, metaphors of trees. But I think for right. children, they, they remind me that um, keep it simple and, and, and just um, be aware of the trees around you and realize that these trees are really helping us and, and we have to take care of them. And that's where professionals like you guys come in because, you know, any, any time that you have something of value, you want to have it looked after uh, professionally and with care and knowledge. Right. Excellent. Well, I don't know, you know, I'm, I would imagine that some of our listeners will have seen you, you know, at a show or a conference or maybe making a presentation somewhere. I've seen you at several different events over the years, but I'm wondering if there's a way you could, you could give us a, you know, uh, give us a presentation. Like for those that have never seen you or heard you, maybe you could just pretend that we're your audience of, you know, we're a young class of elementary children and, and the professor's going to, going to lay it on us. Well, let me give you the, uh, the auctioneer fast forward voice here because it's usually about a 35 minute presentation. But typically what I do is I, I start out with, uh, you know, what do trees give us? And we kind of go back and forth on that. And, you know, again, the t- tangible things, but I spend, I find I spend a bit of time on what I call the tree warm and fuzzies, where I talk a little bit about forest bathing and, you know, how trees interact with humans and how they make us feel. But uh, then I kind of end by saying, well, it's not warm and fuzzy because it's science, you know, like we, it's just not touchy feely, all that. It's science that trees make us feel better. And then from there, I go on and I talk about kind of being an arborist and what it is to be an arborist and, you know, that when we went to school to become an arborist, one of our guiding principles is, are, is to plant the right tree in the right place. So I go through all of that, planting the right tree. And I give some, some pretty cool examples of that. And from there I get serious. I get, I get really serious and I pose the question, 
what are trees made of? And you wouldn't believe some of the answers and some of them I'm blown away by. I'm like, wow, we got you a team, you know, forestry student here today. Like how did did you get in here? Right. So then we, we kind of go through that. And then we do a role play of photosynthesis where I have somebody, somebody bright usually is a sun. And then I get somebody tall to be the tree full of chlorophyll. And then I get a a little guy to be like the water, little guy, little girl. And then uh, somebody has got to be carbon dioxide mix that all together with the sun, right? What do we get we, in the tree? We get uh, the, the glucose is produced. So that's always yeah. somebody that's sweet. And and right. then then the kind of the, the, the piece de la resistance is oxygen. And, right. and that's kind of it. And it's always a bit tricky because I, I was in Coburg Library um, last week and I had the sunshine and she's like, I don't want to be the sunshine. And she kind of <laughs> laughed. And, and usually that happens to carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide, we need it, love it, but we just don't want too much of it, right? But usually I get, I don't want to be carbon dioxide. And then I got to, yeah, it's always awkward. But everybody likes being sugar. Everybody likes being oxygen, you know, so. And then they're okay. The guy's okay with being the tree as well. So, but and then I, I kind of end by, you know, these little things of helping trees that we see in our neighborhood out what we can do is, you know, don't put chains or stuff around them or don't rack your bike up against them and, and kind of help all, all you can with these little trees, especially. And then um, I have a little pledge that we do, a Pricklethorn pledge, and uh, we do that. And then we end with a really cool song, and it's kind of catchy, um, kind of goes, you may have heard this before, all we are saying is give trees a chance. So that's kind of like, <laughs> that's it in an acorn nutshell. And um right had rave reviews. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I even did a, a university Cote d'Azur in, in uh, Nice, France. I was there and that was kind of funny because just about uh, before I was going to um, present the kind of the uh, professors uh, kind of kittled around me and then kind of circled me and they, they said, just remind us again where you're, you had your tenure, um, which academia uh, university that you got your, you know, PhD. And I'm like, I thought I I thought I said PH tree. <laughs> Did I mention PhD? <laughs> so then I had to I had to walk through the steps of you know like uh, Doctor Seuss really wasn't a doctor, you know um, Captain <laughs> Kangaroo really wasn't a captain, and then you know <laughs> Professor Pricklethorn, <laughs> PH tree. So yeah, that was a little little awkward right before I went on. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, I wonder. Professor, how you could, you know, when so, it's interesting. How is it at such a young age? Do you think that 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 children can already identify with the the sugar and the sweet and the air versus, you know, the 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 oxygen or the carbon dioxide and or the, you know, the staticness of a tree, you know, and and do you do you do you tie it in with you know. Because you couldn't have sugar without the carbon dioxide, and it's also vital. Exactly, and it's a tough concept when you start talking about invisible gases. And and right. you know, I think carbon dioxide, let's face it, gets a bad rap, right? Because you know, global warming, and we're creating so much by. But I I say we put it in our soda pop. You know, you open right. like ginger ale or coke, and that's carbonated. That's carbon. Yep. So yep. Um, yep. you know, it, it is around us, and it's. We're probably putting out a little too much, but trees absolutely love it. And so yeah. it is a tough concept to get this 
invisible dun 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 gas. And um, but I I think they get it. Like I've I've had kids um come back to me and they said, you know what? We were walking home from your presentation and we saw the sidewalk buckled up because they planted a big tree too close to the sidewalk. And at right tree, right place. So and right. yeah, I, I get all sorts of little uh, notes and letters that um, make me feel really good that they connected the dots. You know, I can I can see the eureka moment where they're like, yes, yes, yeah. Wow. So does the professor ever uh, get up in trees or ever spend time in the canopy of trees on ropes or anything like that? No, I used to quite a bit. Yeah, I, I had my fair share of like ice storms back in the day, but uh, I am a um, solid um, uh, kind of a um, Totline Hitch guy or a Blake yeah. Hitch guy. But I yeah. look at the you guys today with the uh, holy Dr. Gadget, you know, you got <laughs> you got yeah. more carabiners and flip-flop zigzag polywags on your belt there. And it's just, I'm just in awe. Like I'm in, you know... Uh, my day was just like shinny and like one lanyard, you know, I was, uh, when I first started, it was, we still had the tar buckets on the, the, um, sashis, right. And they would wow. call them, they'd call them shiners. They got, you left a couple of shiners up there. Right. So you up, yeah. back up, you go and you learn, you only did that once or twice and off you went up to <laughs> paint the shine shiners. And I know when that we left that do, you know, thankfully tree research, we should talk about how important that is because, you know, yeah. if it wasn't for tree research, we'd probably still be painting the stupid cuts with uh, with tar and stuff. But, um, yeah. you know, I was back in the day when my test was to make a, uh, a saddle out of a, a, a double bowline. You had to make your own saddle and you had to yeah. get yourself up the tree and kind of do the shimmy up you go. And you, if you got up there, they're like, okay, you're good. Let's go. So, but I, yeah. I am just the leaps and bounds. And it's due to research because, you know, research keeps us progressive it keeps us moving ahead. And um, so I'm a really big, big believer. And this year will be my 20th tour to trees, consecutive tour to trees, Reno to San Francisco in uh, September. So I'm a big, Excellent. big supporter. So the professor rides rides the bicycle as well. You got it. Yep. So yep. I'm, I'm curious. The, the, I didn't realize that, that you had um, experience with going all the way back to the pruning pan and even – even a bowling on a bite harness and, and a climbing and working that way. Um, what I've always, you know, we've had several people on the show that, that remember it, but not as much where they, where they've specifically said they, they actually did it. And I've always wanted to, about curious what, like how much of a nuisance it actually was just from a practical standpoint of climbing a tree and painting while you prune that had to have been a little bit messy sometimes. Oh yeah, no, it would drip down your pant. You would be, your gloves were full. Um, and then certain temperatures, it was just like, you know, it'd be like, you know, closer to zero and it'd just be like, uh, you know, and on your rope. Um, and yeah. I broke in. So I started climbing in like 78 and they were just introducing Arborplex. Like that was like, whoa, revolutionary um, when we had that. <laughs> and, and I remember... I remember we would bring 08s up the tree, 08s up a tree for like pruning cuts, um, you know, and no, no, uh, you know, kickback uh, uh, device, 
um, just rattly old, and they'd be like, start it on the ground. And the buddy would start it on the ground and kind of the same thing would be kind of like shutting around and you'd be, you'd get your cut done and then shut it off and send it back down. But yeah, I know it was, uh, and one lanyard, typically you you only had one lanyard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Boosting your, your hook through with a, a pole pruner as you went up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And no, it was, uh, some of the, the stuff I look back, I'm thinking, wow. Then, as I say, then I see people today with like, you know, $5,000 worth of, uh, equipment hanging <laughs> from their belt, you know, yeah. Just yeah. like the, the MacGyver climber. Right. So, but uh, yeah, you know, it's pro- progression, right. And, and a lot of this is done by, again, research, trial and error, best practices. You know, where would we be without best practices and having industry associations to share them? And that's it. They get shared in every corner now due to, you know, due to the range yeah. of our different associations. So, yeah, it well, was we all know uh, quite that, something. We, we all know that we have Dr. Shigo to thank for the, the abolishment of our pruning paint. But right. what, what was your involvement or did, what, did the professor have any interactions with, with Dr. Shigo at all? Or? I saw him speak way back, way back. And I, I remember Code It, right? That was the whole, yeah. you know, that was the whole deal. And it was like revolutionary. You're like, what do you mean by, you know, compartmentalization car- of disease uh, in, in wood, right? Yeah in trees and um so that was revolutionary and trying to think what you know other other stuff that changed a little bit um topping was done a little bit back then like i mean okay like some poplars and that we would just the guy at the ground would yell there you go right by your hands and then you'd you know lean back and get the 08 up there and yeah what well and that topping was something that that shigo kind of you know, expose the, you know, the, the damage that it did to trees, but how do you, uh, how does the professor bring that in with, uh, with, with his, with his young students is pruning something that you talk about, or do you think that like, cause topping doesn't seem to be quite as prevalent anymore, but it still does get done. Right. Well, and I, I think what I do is I, I uh, pull it back to professional tree care. Like if you want, you want to get something done, right. You have to have professionals. You don't want, you don't want people experimenting on your trees. You want progressive uh, best practices done on your trees that we love. And even in, you know, municipal towns and that, you don't want just, you know, guy out there running around with a pickup truck and the, the chainsaw, just having a tree cutter. I call them tree cutters. And uh, right. so you just don't want that type of person around your trees. You know, you got to protect, they're an asset, right? They And a lot of them, you know, you think, you know, Get off my property. That's my tree. Well, no, your tree is benefiting the whole community. So, um, you know, whether it be wildlife habitat or like, you know, the, the air cleansing qualities it brings and tranquility and the, the, the greening of the, of the community and the canopy it's, it's trees are kind of like a community asset, even though they may sit on your property, you know, that old get off my lawn guy. Right. So community stewardship is something that you foster in, in the, in the young minds, as well as even professionalism. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, it's kind of like being part of a team or a a very worthy cause, you know, everybody wants to have a role in something that's worthy and fulfilling. And I try and foster with the kids. Like I I actually even talk about a careers in arboriculture because again, when I started, it was kind of like just one stream. It was you either climbed trees or you didn't. And if you didn't, you kind of, 
probably stuck on the chipper the rest of your life. But um, but nowadays the scope of work is so amazing. Like there's data collectors, there's consultants, there's people that do the um, integrated pest management. There's um, estimators. The, the the scope of work in a boriculture now is like yeah. I don't know a hundredfold from when I first started. Like and so and I often talk about that and I. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say there's always work to be found in a boar culture. I, you know, I kind of have my tentacles out there and I always see like companies looking for help, companies hiring companies, you know, wanting to expand and need more and more and more. Right. So, you know, if you want a really good career, I tell them, and it's a, it's a very noble career that you're, you're doing good. Your big picture is you're, you're, you're helping the planet and you're helping people. Trees help people. So, um, Again, a very noble professional uh, career to go into is uh, a board culture. And, um, you know, let's start them young. So you've been doing your, the, you know, the community outreach, so to speak, with, with young people for 20 years now? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of started that end of it. Uh, I was the park supervisor on Toronto Island for about 25 years. And there's a school there. There's a little community on the island. I call it our Canada's, uh, Toronto's little uh, Key West, kind of a a funky little little community. And um, there's a school there. And I would go to the school like on Arbor Day or Earth Day. And uh, I'd just be like, hey, kids, uh, I'm Warren Hosselton. And and, and they would be like nodding off. I had good things to say. But then uh, one time I came in as... Professor Pricklethorn. And and I amped it up. I animated it. I got a lot more interactive. And I think the message somehow stuck more. Um, Yeah. So I I did, I started doing that at the Toronto Island uh, public school. And then I went to a few events here and there. And then kind of the teaching network in Toronto uh, kind of heard about me. And then I got picked up by the um, Toronto district school board as a um, under contract as an external presenter, so I'm with them, and then of course our good friends at ISA Ontario um, help get yeah. me around to different communities and events and schools in Ontario. So they've been ISA Ontario has been a tremendous help uh, launching Pricklethorn. Yeah, and you, I think you haven't you gone to the Urban Forestry Conferences as well? Uh, yep, yeah, I've been uh, quite a few of them, and um, yeah. I'm trying yeah. to think Indianapolis. I went down there by. Uh, the IAA, Indianapolis Harvest Association, actually um, sponsored me to come down and as a legacy within the community where the conference was, sent me to some schools close by. So that's a win-win. Nice. Yeah, no, it was, it was really fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah, trees have been very, very good to me. So um, I'm just trying to, so, so really that's where the professor originally was conceived is on, on you're from the island. Yeah. I, I worked there for many years. I will say one of my uh, mentors that absolutely shaped my uh, destiny is a, a gentleman by the name of Timmy Womack. You probably know yes. that name. Yeah. Timmy. Yes. So, yes. and he actually came to the island a couple times. So, and, and, okay. and so, so many times um, he had some mascots with him and, and uh, whatnot. So I'd be the squirrel. Right. And then I'm like, yeah. I was just in awe of Timmy, like how, and I'm like, we need more of this. And I think that was the eureka moment when I said, I can do this. Timmy can't be everywhere. So um, yeah, enter Professor Elwood Pricklethorn. Well, is he not 
uh, in California? Yeah, he's he's out of North Carolina. His his home and native okay, land, right. and right. but he he spends That's a right. lot of time in California. Yeah, West yeah. Coast Arborists and the their association out there. Um, you know, same yeah. thing. Get some of the events and libraries and schools. And Timmy's just a dynamo. I can't I can't speak highly enough about him. Yeah, I think maybe we should uh, try to reach out to him. Maybe he can do uh, do an episode as well. Oh, he's a trip. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So professor, you said you've, this is your, your 20th year riding in the tour de trees. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were going to uh, give anyone advice, they'd never done it before. How would you, how would you get ready for that event? And even Uh, if you could just describe it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. not familiar with it. So my first one was in 2003. And I think the year before was Vancouver to Seattle, something like that. And I saw it in the Arborist news magazine or whatever. And I'm like, and I've always ridden a bike and I'm like, oh man, I'd like to see that or, you know, do that. And, but I'm going, that's so daunting, like Vancouver, then, you know, the trip. Then all next year it was Ottawa to Montreal, but the long way. So it was like Ottawa, Rockville, Kingston, across to yeah. New York State, across to Vermont. Then a big circle, like the back way um, through yeah. through uh, upper, upper uh, U.S. states. So I did that. I got ready for it. I rode a lot. I used to ride to work and home on, on several days a week, which is probably about 25 miles each way, like urban riding right down Young Street, right back Young Street. And um, so I I figured, you know, 50 miles a day, then the odd Saturday, Sunday, I'd go out and do like 80 miles, a big loop or whatever. And I figured, you know, if I can do that, it's because number one, it's not a race. You have all day. Right. So you're there, you got to get from A to B. You're on a really good bike. One of your strongest muscles in your body are your legs got to get a bit of cardio because there's different, you know, hills and, and up. And um, so I, I kind of liken it to like a triangle. There's, there's the, um, the, the training, the fundraising, then the actual event. So like the right. training is, you know, takes a bit of time and you got to, and I, I worked it into my work. So like, I didn't have to set time aside. I had to get to work, drive, go train. So I said, I'm going to ride my bike. Fundraising yeah. is, um, I'm not going to, it's not at all easy. People would uh, see me coming and run, you know, <laughs> then I, then I sort of had to wear a ski mask at night and get them as they're getting out of the car in the darkness. And they'd be like, Oh, there you are. Oh, you found me. <laughs> so then I would shake them down. And, but they, they honestly, a lot of people, most of my, well, all of them get the cause. They, they, they understand why it's important to fund tree research projects and education. So there's that part. Right. And then there's the actual event. There's like, getting time away from your job, figuring out, you know, your week or so away from your family, getting there on your own dime, getting back on your own dime, getting through that week. Um, but I tell you, it's been, you know, I guess that's almost, I, I'll say it's 20 weeks I've spent on Tour de Trees, 20 weeks of my life, like, you know, all, yeah. half a year. And um, yeah. some of the best people I've ever met, like, and I always joke, I've met people from all over the U.S., the U.K., uh, I could be thrown in jail somewhere in the U S and I'd have one call and there would be somebody nearby that would probably pony up to get me out, you know, <laughs> I hope. but uh, some of the best people I've met in my life have been fellow riders or people along the road on tour to trees. So, um, somebody thinking about going, I would say, uh, connect with the tree fund, Jonathan Kane 
is an excellent resource there. We have a fearless leader, Paul Wood, who's been there, I think, like 19 tours, 18 tours. Um, before wow. that, it was Carl Parker for a couple of years. And, you know, there's lots of support. We uh, support each other uh, through fundraising. I, I have a few tips that um, that I would be happy to share and, uh, you know, training tips and then the actual event. But I'll tell you, I went to go once because I saw Ottawa to Montreal. I said, I'm going to go once. I took the train down there uh, with my bike, slept it down. And I said, you know what? Bucket list. I done it. Then they're like, well, next year it's Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. And then I had met a bunch of people too, right? And I'm like, oh, I got to do that. Then the next year it was like, it was like Jackson to Nashville. I got to do that. Then I forget where it was. But every time, even this year, it's like Reno to um, Reno to um, San Francisco, Half Moon Bay. And I'm like, oh, I know the California guys. I got to respect them and go do it. So I don't know when I'm going to put the brakes on it. You know, you may, you, you may see me on an electric bike with a walker and a really long cord on the back of the bike or whatever, but I, I, I just keep going. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I don't... Um, yeah, I've been thinking about doing it. And, and every time you do talk about it, I, I, I get inspired. But one thing I'm wondering about is the, the bike itself. Like, I mean, everyone obviously brings, it's not the kind of thing you rent. You know, no. you'd be quite personal to a bike. So, I mean, how the heck do you fly with a bike or get it well, there? Yeah, you break it down. Though, I, And I've, I've kind of had the um, good fortune of borrowing a bike a couple of times where it's tricky, and I'm hoping to borrow a bike. But the thing is, I ride with a certain saddle, like the seat, and I take the seat with uh-huh. me. So right. some of the most important parts are where you connect your sit, where you connect with the bike. Your feet have good shoes good gloves, and, of course, a really good seat that uh, keeps you happy down there, <laughs> which is critical, right? Yeah, it's critical. I've heard that like, the saddle swords can be, become a major factor if you didn't prepare. I've seen people that didn't prepare. And I, that's my, my driving um, kind of incentive is if you don't prepare, you're not going to have a good time. Like, you know, like anything, if you, you know, you're going to go – like skiing, like a, you know, a big, you're not prepared. You're not going to have a good time or you're going on a big, you know, bit of a run or whatever. You got to be prepared and that way you'll have a yeah. good time. But I've seen people that haven't and um, they couldn't sit down. They literally couldn't sit down and uh, they couldn't certainly ride the next day or the day after it's, it takes days to get back from like, uh, and there's a couple of tricks too. There's some ointments if you know what I mean, like um, down, <laughs> down low there, you know, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, there's a few, few tricks and there's good, um, shorts with, uh, chamois and like a little bit of padding, get yourself a really good yeah. seat that, that fits. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah and and yeah, there's way, yeah. yeah, there's a couple of little, uh, cheat codes for getting through all that. I bet. I bet. Well, no, I, that's really cool. I, I, I don't know that there's ever been a, uh, a little mini tutorial on, on going on the tour, but here we have it. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other yeah. thing is, as I said, it's not a race, it's a tour. So you usually, you know, there's 80 riders, typically 60, 80, even a hundred we've had, but in a group like that, eventually you groove into your little group of riders, somebody that's at your level, your speed, your cadence, all that. So you get into yeah, this little yeah. group and you have your lunch and you wait for them and you go riding or whatever again. 
you're telling stories and you're yapping back and forth and, you know, 10 miles, 20 miles, and you're at 30, then you have a nice break. And then all of a sudden you hit lunch and you're at 50 and then, you know, you get going again and, you know, you're at 70 and you're like, Oh boy, day's pretty much cooked. They've only got, you know, a couple more or whatever. And I always find the toughest ride is nine. If it's a hundred mile day, it's from 90 to a hundred. Then I I end up covering my, my little speedometer. I don't even want to look at it. I'm like, that's the longest, <laughs> longest mile I've ever. And then I start breaking the head games. I start like 10 miles. I, I'm at 90. I got to go to 100. 10 miles. I I do that like at a blink of an eye in the morning, like on my way to work. But I'm just like, ah. right. <laughs> trying try to get get through it and play head games and all this stuff, you know. So, so it's, it's fun. It's, it, it, it's seriously 100 miles a day? Well, no, the, there was like back in the day, there was some hundred mile days. Typically there's always uh-huh. 100 mile day on every tour because they want to, okay. they want to give the opportunity for people that haven't ridden a true century before to ride that. So yeah, there's always at least 100 mile day. A couple of tours, there's been two or three of them. Wow. The longest I've had on the yeah. tour was my very first year. It was 123 mile day. We went from like Lake Placid to, I forget where it was. But it was, that was just like, uh, but we did it. Then, then you, you, you do it and you go, what else you got? Like, you know, come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm curious what, uh, you know, we call it the human forestry podcast and, and we always ask people, what is it about trees that, you know, obviously professionally we're involved with them, but, but what is it personally or, mentally socially spiritually about them is there a way you can articulate what they've done for you you know yourself and 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 can you and how that how trees have impacted you yeah i i would say they're to me they are like the silent witnesses or guardians to you know to our being like to our day-to-day lives so they're they are out there looking after us and i think i you know, I'm always outside. I walk my dogs twice a day and through ravines and trees and past them. And I'm, I'm always kind of like giving them the nod, like, Hmm, still there. And I'm and so many times I think, man, if you could talk or tell a story, the things you've probably seen, right. You know, you, you go downtown or something in a, a busy lot or whatever. And all of a sudden there's a tree there and you're like, wow, if that tree could, could talk and tell the story of this neighborhood. So, and then, you know, Conversely, I look at that and I say, well, that's even more reason we should look after them. Like, let's look after these mm-hmm. guys. Like, they're doing so much for us. And so that that's my inspiration. And sometimes, I don't know if it's rightfully so or whatever, but I get a little d- disheartened in that um, I'll see these, like, big things on, on the Internet or social media. And we're, we're going to plant a million trees and we're going to plant 10 million and this and that. And I'm thinking, well, are you going to look after them all? You know, like... Right. Because, you know, they have the, the mayor out there with a golden shovel and they plant one and, you know, cut the ribbon and woo. Then they walk away and I'm thinking, the tree's like, um, excuse me, could I get some water? Could I, uh, could you look after the mulching? And, and hello, hello. And meanwhile, it's in the paper. They did all this stuff and the trees are, you just kind of walk away. I hope that's not the case. But yeah, it, it, tree, tree planting is very sexy, right? Because of all the headlines and the do-gooding that it does. Right. And, but Tree maintenance goes on every day and it's a lot of work, but it probably doesn't get yeah. the headlines that tree planting does. 
So, right. right? Yeah, yeah right. maybe, you know, if I can boost that up a bit. You know, I had a, years ago where there was a, an idea, my, myself and others were floating around of, of a, and it's along the concept of what you're talking about, of, of, of if trees could talk or relay their story, but like find, you know, it seems like every community where you go, there's an old tree like that, that's, that's, you know, made it lived long enough that it's achieved some type of, of honorable status, you know, where it's, it's just so old and big that, that nobody disputes its presence anymore. And in fact, it's revered. It's like, you know, it may get a plaque. It even gets a little protection. Like it finally gets some of the, the credit credit deserves, so to speak. But wouldn't it be cool to take people that know trees like we do and, you know, find where these trees are in, in their locations across, well, even the world because they're everywhere and, and actually do the research, go back into the archives of photographs, either at the municipal offices or whatever you can do and, and see if you can get a picture of that scene when it was first planted in like, or, or even before the city was there, like, you know, the tree was there before it was a city and it somehow has made it, you know, wouldn't that be just a neat and to do a little episode on each tree where you, you take people from that point to, and everything that's gone on in and around that tree's life that it has literally witnessed and to, and bring that to people's attention. And, and how many bullets did it dodge with somebody saying like, ah, you know what, a couple more parking lots, we could just flop it at it. Then somebody, you know, there's always could be that one person that's like, no, no, let's hang on to that. You know, it's, and like, yes, I, I to, I'm totally with you. And just how many near misses it's had with, with removal or, yeah. or, or like a, a bulldozer, like backing into it or whatever, right? Like grade changes and just, and it's surviving. It's still there to tell the story. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I you know, and I, you know, of course, with the climbing background that I have, I, I always thought it'd be really cool to, to, to finish it with, you, you know, like basically the, the vision I sort of had would be like, you, you, you climb the tree. So you, and you give people that experience of being in the tree. So there's pictures from the tree and, and then you you know, you, you take photos from the tree itself looking out and, and using modern technocracy, like, simulate what it would have looked like from the canopy at that age, at that time. And then time-lapse it, you know, here's what the tree was oh, seeing my. here. Yeah. Now what it's seeing here and what, and yeah, and exactly the, the, the near, you know, the, the storms, the, the disease infestations, the, the construction, the, the wars, the explosions, yeah. the fires, the, yeah. <laughs> whatever has all happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And I think, yeah, you could even, and then you could get one of these whippersnappers to go and give the the actual value of it over, you know, with uh, um, storm uh, runoff and oxygen and air cleaning and put a put a dollar value on that tree. Like, you know, extrapolate wow. the, you know, over the years and say, we saved, you know, $489,000 worth of, you know, benefits yeah. from that, whatever. They could, they could figure yeah. that out, right? And say, yeah, so just, you know, you knock it down a tree there's going to be a cost to it. Like this is what, what you did. You just, you could have wiped out $489,000 worth of benefits of that tree being there for uh, 94 years or whatever. 
Well, you make you bring up an important, uh, interesting point. I, I'm curious what the professor would have to say about, you know, you hear all the time. Well, or I should maybe say you don't hear all the time, but it's common practice often for construction or development to say, well, we're going to have to remove these trees, but we're going to plant five new ones for every one we cut down. I don't think that's really a fair equation. Do you? Not really. No, and we're going through this in Toronto with Metro Links because they're they're doing like a couple of subway projects where they're, you know, they say you got to break eggs to make some omelets, right? So they have to put in stations, and when they pop up, they can't pop up where a building is, so they got to pop a, in a green space. What's in green space is trees, so they're, right. um, you know, they have to cut out some trees. So again, I kind of get pulled into these things, and I. I don't like to be knee jerk and kind of like, cause I'm like, well, give me this. Oh, they're going to plant five for every one or whatever taken down. And I'm like, okay, I want to see the list of species. Cause there could be yeah. buckthorn and Manitoba maple and poplar and, you know, seriously. Right. So yeah, it's like, yeah. give me before I'm going to like really uh, tie myself to the tree. Uh, I want to see exactly what they're talking about. So, but yeah, I know there, there is um, in fact much more value and, and, um, uh, benefit to having older trees there uh, as opposed to younger trees. But like I get the, I get the concept of progress and moving ahead, but I think they mm -hmm. really, really have to tip the scales or even like if there's the trees worthy, we're not going to do it for a Manitoba maple, but if there's like a really nice specimen oak tree or something yep. of great value, yep. why don't we move it? I see that done a lot in Europe. But I don't think we do that so much over in North America, you know, where they do the massive ball and burlap yep. or goodnight or whatever around the tree. Yep. And they physically move yep. it. And But we don't really do that a whole lot here in North America. But, yeah, no. I, I try not to to do a knee-jerk on these things where, just like you say, they're, they're going to cut the, the old tree and, and put 10 in. But, but, yeah, it's a tough thing. It is. It's a tough one to balance out. like Because... Um, like there currently is a bit of a uh, uh, heavy discussion. I remember like at the conference a few weeks ago, everyone was talking about the, is it at the university of Toronto where there's some discussion over some trees and it's, isn't it for a Metro building? Met Metro links. It's for the new subway and it's at Osgood hall. It's right. like right downtown at like queen and university. It's an old heritage, you know, building Osgood hall has been around century yeah. and some of the trees within that footprint it's the only kind of footprint that they can possibly bring up the subway, you know, right. without coming up through the bottom of a building or whatever. But yeah, that's the right. controversy there and trying to balance the, the removals. And, um, you know, and I, I saw they, they did some and one of the contractors, um, I'm not going to mention the name starts with a D and uh, Ryan <laughs> gravy. Um, but yeah, I just kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of a tough thing for them too, like, you know, it's, you're there and it's a big contract and they probably know uh, much more than we know about what's going to be replaced and, you know, the ethics of all that. So, but it's a, it's a really, really tough thing. It's, um, so it's that one tough because of the, the age of the trees and the species or, or, and their historical significance or what's, you know, we talk about tree valuation and, you know, you know, there's obviously we, we assign, 
you know, we've, we've, we've cooked up ways through the tree appraisal guide to, to assign monetary value to trees, particularly in urban areas. But, you know, symbolic value and historical value is one of them. Is what, what aspect of value are those trees? Where do they have their highest ranking? Is it the species? Is it, is it their placement? Is, is it their, you know, uh, symbolic or, or uh, historical value? I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's all, all of that. It, it's, it is um, uh, symbolic. It is, it, it probably gives habitat to some um, bird life and, and right. some wildlife. Um, yeah. From what I understand, the biggest bulk of the species is Norway maples. So that, okay. you know, that's, you know, it doesn't get a lot of points for that, but you know, it's, it's, it contributes to the green canopy, right? And there's not a lot of green canopy in that particular area. So I think to lose any of it will have an impact. And you probably, again, if you plant 10 trees, like little caliper trees for every big tree that you lose, that's going to be probably 20, 30 years before things start to equal out a bit on the canopy loss. Yeah. So there's going to, there's going to be a a big gap for a while, uh, quite a while. Yeah. And then again, there's gridlock all over Toronto. There's cars downtown burning CO2 off. And these guys want to put yep. in a, an electric subway system. You know, how do you, how do you win, right? How do you win? Yeah. No, makes sense. And that, that, you know, there is that side to it too, which is yeah. very beneficial, right? So yeah. I get it. And then, and none of these, it's always easy to make comments uh, when you're on the outside looking in, you know, as a spectator, it's, it's always easier to shoot people in the back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Snipe from the hill. Yeah. 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 yeah no, think, it's true. It, it, I think if you take a bigger look at it too, and you know, in this case, and it happens all the time, I think there's value in having the conversation, you know, of that the trees do have value and that they should be compensated and that there's more than just, cause you know, 30 years ago, they had to cut them down. It wouldn't even have been a news story. Exactly. You know, Exactly. It had just been gone. Progress would have taken, you know, manifest destiny would just, but I think there's value, even if the trees have to go, which is most likely going to happen, mm-hmm. right. And yep. be replaced by something, but at least as a, as a society now, you know, as, as a civilization, we're having that conversation right. where look, these things, these plants do add value. And maybe that's one of the lessons of those trees, even though they're, you know, Norway maples, the, everybody has their problems with Norway maples and invasive species, regardless of the fact that humans are the most invasive species ever. <laughs> it's a little side comment, but, uh, you know, but maybe that's one of the lessons Those maybe that's the purpose of those trees, even if they do go, is that they force that conversation so that as a people, we can take a look at, at what, how we treat trees because we need them, yeah. right? Everybody's looking for a solution to global warming. Yeah. Well, we got one, yeah. you know. No, you're you're um, right. Just you're, to have that conversation. You're exactly right. Probably like 25, 30 years ago, it wouldn't have been like a public forum. Well, there was no social media to roll it out there. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these community right. groups would not have the traction that they have today. And, um, but yeah, I again, as you're saying, Tony, fly up above, up above, way, way up high mm-hmm. and assess at that point and, and you know, to get – cars off of streets in, in Toronto and that we got to have better public transit mm-hmm. break, break some yeah. eggs to make the omelet. Yeah. I mean, you know, who, who knows professor, maybe this debate is being watched by some 12 or 13 year old that has had the privilege to see you and understand a little bit about trees and maybe it, it makes a change in their life and they take a path that they wouldn't have taken. Let's hope you know, there's yeah. trees can teach us lessons 
in very, very many ways. I totally agree. And, and those lessons can make manifest, you know, many years later, you know, and and grow and develop very slowly, much like the trees themselves. It was one thing I wanted to ask you, Professor, was, you know, and it's, I asked earlier how long you've been doing it, and we, we got talking about your start at Toronto Island, but what I was wanting to ask you was, you know, you've been doing it a while now that, like, if you would, you know, think back to some of your first classes, if you will, where you've had that chance to, you know, instill a, an inspirational thought about trees into a, a young mind, like an elementary school type mind. Has any of those, have you had any, or the, what's the word I'm looking for, the benefit of, of a student or, or a, a, a person that's now grown up, you know, and said, you know what? I remember you told me, like, has that happened to you yet, Professor? Amazing story. There's a young gentleman on Toronto Island, uh, Tyler Ganton. A shout out to Tyler, yeah. who is the owner operator of We Care Tree Care in Toronto. Wow. And Tyler, <laughs> I remember Tyler when uh, he was a young fellow. And he started out, you know, coming around to some of the tree tours and steering them around here and there on the island. And he was doing his thing. And then I, you know, encouraged him. I said, you know what, Tyler, you should, you know, make sure you get your insurance. You're doing this work. And I steered him to ISA. And now he is a representative for Tree Trust on Toronto Island. So um, there's a perfect example of a young guy that... Um, I kind of mentored and I guess he's kind of mentoring me now. <laughs> it's, it's funny sometimes, wow. you know, there's that switch, right? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where the, the, the teacher becomes the student. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I watch him with these, you know, the zigzag polywag, you know, MacGyver up the tree and, the, and I'm, I'm standing there. <laughs> so what does the professor think of the future of arboriculture? Where are we headed? What's it going to look like? What and uh, wow, what what do you, what's the future like? I mean, all we are saying is give trees a chance, but yeah, how are we gonna? Are we getting better at it? Or is the, is the future bright? Buy drones and laser systems, laser sabers and drones, and uh, you'll be there with a little switchy thing at your belt, little toggles, and you'll be going up and doing reductions and trenchments and and return and, and figuring it all out from the ground with little drones have a good night Maybe. oh yeah <laughs> that wow that could be well you know what though let, to be serious a minute um i did i alluded to you know this group's going to plant a thousand trees and we're going to plant uh uh, 500,000 along the 401. And then, you know, in the green belt, we're going to plant, you know, 10 million trees. Somebody has to propagate those trees. Somebody has to right. raise them out of nursery. Somebody has to dig them. Somebody has to prune them. Somebody has to plant them. Somebody has to, yeah. you know, do assessments. Somebody has to maintain them. So again, I think there's a lot of good future in aboriculture, there's always going to be a jobs in aboriculture because now we realize what a asset they are and their, their, their infrastructure, they're a green infrastructure. So um, as you, you guys can both speak to this, it's, it's such a noble profession. Um, the salt of the earth people that, that work in it, uh, we tend to have everybody's back as we're working along the common goals. Yeah. So that that's my uh, message to the young students is if, and a lot of them don't even consider, they're like, Wow, you can get a job looking after trees. 
I'm like, yeah, you can get a job looking after trees. Great job. They don't talk back. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the propagation and growing of trees. You know, often it's in arboriculture, it, it's a separate entity or leg. And it, you know, it, it, it's, you know, for example, you know, we were recently at a conference and there were maybe a few people from the nursery uh, side of the industry, but not that many. There, there seems like there's a different connection, disconnect there. And yet it is, obviously, that's where the trees come from. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that? Like, is, that, is, there, is it good the way it is? Could it be improved or, or why is it the way it is? Yeah, you're right. It's like two streams almost or two silos, right? And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's not a lot of overlap that I've witnessed over the years. I think no. a few of them do come to trade shows, but not as many as you'd think, because you'd think that that's who they're marketing to and who's going to connect them to the clients and whatnot. Um, very interesting. That's a great observation. Um, I, yeah. And I, and cause we can only plant what they are supplying so they right. need to they need to hear the art the voice of the arborist right tree right place and kind of what the demands are in the field because a lot of them are like a wholesale kind of level yeah yeah that, that don't have like proper garden center walk ins um, yeah that's a good question Dwayne uh, yeah you know and it's all, it's interesting how like for them it's if if it's when it you know they an old tree is a tree that's ready for sale you know yeah. and for yeah. us an old trees an old tree is a tree that's been there for 50 years or more or a hundred years. Right. <laughs> they, they may even discount you on an old tree just to get it moving. Right. They might say, you yeah. know, here's get it out of here. Yeah. 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 And we're, and we're trying to, we're trying to save it and it's yeah. big and old. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, I really appreciate you, you joining us on the show. It's been a great uh, interaction. Tony, I don't know if you want to ask the, say to the good professor in closing no not that i can think of dude thank you for coming on professor it's been awesome look forward to seeing you out and about um in the future here sometime hope you can get down to the states at yeah. some point i know i know you have before but look forward to seeing you again and and uh, good luck on your ride this summer oh, thank you yeah uh, for the tour yep. of the trees um well and, and professor i know you've been are you able uh i know there's been some uh uh, support thrown your way. Are you gonna? Is that gonna allow you to to spread your wings a little bit outside of the country of Canada at all? Or do you know any? Have you got any? Where can where could someone maybe go and and, and catch a performance potentially? Well, uh, early May I'm coming out to Lethbridge in Calgary. That's uh, that's right. that's a uh, done deal. Uh, yeah, I just kind of I get offers and I I'm sort of retired, so I'm like a fixed income fella now. So. Um, I, I have time to get out and about, but um, yeah, I'm I'm always open to okay. opportunities, and I want to thank you guys today for this great opportunity to reach out to your reaction audience, and uh, it was terrific. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And, and if there's if if someone wanted to invite the professor, you know, how would they how would they make contact to to say hey would and and make, give them an invite to attend somewhere. How, how could they do that? Well, first of all, the probably best to go through my website. It's pricklethorn.com, P-R-I-C-K-L-E, thorn.com. 
So that's probably the easiest. There's email there. You can get a real sense of what the presentation is about on there. And I'm open to, uh, you know, was over in France and uh, was in Paris doing it. So I was in uh, Austin and San Antonio in November, Calgary coming up. I think Buffalo coming up. Um, Yeah. Nice. Let's spread the word. That's awesome. Well, we're, if you, anyone out there interested in, 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 getting the professor out so you know where to get a hold of him at pricklethorn.com is his website and uh we're yeah, I, i've seen it more than once i've always you know I've, i'm usually at a conference traveling from one thing to the next or moving from one room to another but more than one time i've had to make pause to just take it in and, and grab a seat in the back of the of the room or wherever you're presenting it and 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 listen to it and it's 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 definitely worth a cast if anyone ever gets a chance, and it's worth bringing them out to uh, to your event. So this is uh, Dwayne Newstater with Professor Cricklethorn coming at you from Tree Actions, and we hope to see you all somewhere in person. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks so much, Professor.